Hi everyone, thanks for joining us. This is United Launch Alliance's Voices of Delta II. I'm Heather McFarland. And I'm her father, David McFarland. I'll begin by saying I'm relatively new to ULA, recently joining the communications team in Cape Canaveral, Florida. I say relatively because my dad here has been working in the space industry for 41 years. Not only since the beginning of ULA, but since the beginning of the Delta II rocket, which is what we're all here to talk about. But before we get started, I need to give a little background, and so does my dad. I'll let him start. ULA just launched the final Delta II rocket, the last one to end an amazing legacy. From the first launch on February 14, 1989, to the final launch on September 15, 2018, carrying NASA's ISAT-2 spacecraft. I agreed to help my daughter, Heather, take a look back into not only the development and history of this amazing rocket, but also into my experiences and the experiences of colleagues to tell our story. From joining ULA fresh out of college to becoming the chief engineer for launch operations and the anomaly chief during ULA countdowns, there's a lot of experiences I'm excited to share, and I know my teammates are too. Growing up on Florida's Space Coast, I learned a lot about this rocket and how people who worked on the program absolutely loved it. This rocket has visibly made an impact in the industry and in scientific history. I wanted to learn more about the program and especially learn about the people that made it so special. So I asked my dad to gather some of his Delta II friends to share their stories. This isn't the first time I've met this group. They've been a part of my entire upbringing. But for the sake of this podcast, I'll make sure to introduce each one of them one by one. You will hear from those with experience in launch operations, manufacturing, and design engineering throughout the Delta II program. Dad, let's start with you. Uh, I started uh, before Delta II was in existence. Uh, um, I uh, was hired in in uh, 1977, and, and uh, so I had uh, uh, about a decade before uh, Delta II was thought of and, and brought to fruition. So I had the honor of being able to work on the very first one and uh, now the extreme honor of being able to work on the very last one and, and nearly all of them in between. So um, very proud of that. Now I'll introduce Bill Cullen. He's currently the Vulcan Launch Operations Leader and Atlas V Launch Director. I hired in on Shuttle PAM, which was the predecessor for many of the missions that uh, eventually flew on Delta II. So with the Challenger disaster, uh, the nation changed their launch strategy, and, uh, and that was the birth of Delta II. So uh, I was working in Huntington Beach and uh, transitioned from Shuttle PAM over to Delta II. Uh, designed some of the test equipment used in the factory, and then uh, the launch uh, system that was used uh, 17 and out at Slick 2. At the same time, we transitioned from panels with switches and meters and gauges to a computer-controlled launch system. And uh, I was the lead for the design of that new launch system and moved to Florida to implement it and stayed here in launch ops ever since. I think it's fascinating. You said it was the first computer system, and we're talking about 1990. We labeled that system the Advanced Launch Control System, and uh, within five years, of course, it was obsolete, and uh, (laughs) we questioned our naming strategy. (laughs) But really, really remarkable for the time. Well, I started in the Air Force. I was assigned here. That's Kathy McLaughlin, East and West Coast Technical Services Manager. Uh, That was when I was actually assigned to Titan first, and then they started standing up the Air Force people that were going to be assigned to Delta II. 
and I immediately raised my hand and <laughs> moved over. So there was a small cadre of engineers and some technicians as well that were learning the vehicle and, and working with McDonnell Douglas at the time. It was really exciting. I just loved it. And then once I um, retired, I joined McDonnell Douglas and worked in different capacities throughout with um, spacecraft integration, range coordination, on up to this current position. I hired in in 1987 uh, when McDonnell Douglas was starting to staff up for Delta II. Now you're hearing Steve Huff, systems engineering leader, who joined us on the phone. I, I moved to Huntington Beach, California, was a trajectory analysis and development engineer out there. I quickly realized my passion was more in the launch world and uh, moved to Florida to be the guidance navigation and controls engineer. We called him the flight mechanics advisor at the time, the FMA. So I, I moved to Florida when we moved the first Delta horizontal processing from California to Florida. So I was part of the very first Delta II that got checked out in Florida. Uh, still working all the Delta II launches uh, through today. Paul Fratto joined on the phone as well. He's the electrical ground lead for Delta IV, and I started working with him in 1979. Well, I'm not as old as David, <laughs> but I started on Delta, and then when the Delta II came along in the late 80s, I uh, was there for that, watched the build-up. They changed from the old push-button consoles up to this new computer-supported uh, launch system, which was all brand-new to us at the time. Of course, it moved us into the current uh, century when we did that. Um, and uh, so we moved from the old relay logic into the new computer logic. And that was a pretty exciting time. It was also uh, a time of, of great learning and, under, and understanding of the new system. And then you always question, is this stuff really going to work? You know, of course it does. We're now going to hear from Dana Vandersarl, who works for Mission Assurance in the propulsion team out of our factory in Decatur, Alabama. My current role is is I work for our customer, our government customer, as a mission assurance person in the propulsion team. I got out of school and I saw a little bitty ad in the paper, and it said uh, it said Rocket Factory in Pueblo, Colorado, in the Denver Post. It was just at the very beginning, and I made the right decision. I uh, I started in '87 uh, with the Delta 181. We also did tests on all the all the different stages the booster the second stage and the third stage and i kept that job pretty well forever i think i, I still do that job when i'm called upon it we, i still did that job on isat too this is todd gherkins for the delta two program todd is the propulsion systems chief engineer well i joined the program about two weeks before the challenger incident that initiated the procurement and development of Delta II. So I was, I was there right before we started the proposal effort for Delta II. Actually, my wife, she was a McDonnell Douglas employee, and I met her as we were in a conference room watching a Delta launch on TV. So I met her at a Delta II launch. Our children were born, uh, you know, of course, as I worked on the Delta II program, because I've been on Delta II my entire career. It really, it's bittersweet. I was, you know, right before, and I'm able to see it right to the end. Um, so my, you know, my entire personal life has been wrapped around the Delta II rocket. So from my understanding, all of you have pretty much been with the program since the beginning yes. of it. Yes? Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's absolutely incredible. It blew my mind that everyone we spoke with had worked with this rocket from the very beginning. 
They'd all been there since day one and are so loyal to the program and now it was ending. I wanted to learn more about how they became so connected to this rocket and why they felt compelled to stay with it for years, some of which were very tough. At one point, we started talking about the Challenger tragedy, which is an important part of the history to touch on. It is important. This is the shuttle that broke apart a couple of minutes into flight in 1986. That event led to the Delta II gaining contracts for launch and a future for launching all sorts of payloads. Challenger happened. And within a few years, the Delta II launched for the first time, February 14th, 1989. What was it like um, having Challenger happen and then launching this vehicle within a couple of years after that? At the time, uh, Delta was going out of existence as, as everything was going to be launched on shuttle. All the country's uh, uh, primary missions, and there was just no place for expendable rockets. And when that uh, event happened, uh, basically woke up the country that uh, that can't happen again. And we've been in some mode of assured access since then. Uh, one of my main memories is we were waiting and waiting and waiting to hear the results of the competition. The Air Force had decided to award all 28 missions to McDonnell Douglas and the Delta II program. And the joy and the camaraderie we shared just uh, myself and my technicians, uh, I, I wish there was film of it because we were jumping and dancing and hugging. and Being at that point of uncertainty and then hearing you on 28 missions, that must have been incredible. Incredible, yes. So, so my experience was, was going from Challenger and, uh, and doing some rudimentary investigation activity there because we had a payload on, on Orbiter. Uh, and then 178. We literally had no computers. That's right. We were using fax machines to communicate documents uh, uh, back uh, in, in this time frame. Like. Looking at what we have now oh, yeah. uh, with the tools that we, we did all this work with. But like you said, the way you work, it still remains. Not making assumptions, making sure nothing is left unturned because the things you do every single day can have major impact. It sounds like everyone felt so strongly about the program, partially due to its incredible beginnings. I wondered about what it was like during some of those first missions, things they would do to make sure they were at their best before launch. Were there any traditions or superstitions around Delta II launches? I know Skip Mackey used to wear the same tie every time. He was the uh, commentator out of Hangar AE for all of our missions, and, uh, and he wore this fish tie because <laughs> he loved fishing, but wore the same one because that was the lucky tie. And then the, the Air Force's um, contractor that, that uh, worked the facilities, they put a, a tree, a little tree for every launch up onto the MST. Mm -hmm. And the tie uh, carries over to uh, Woody Brecken, our hydraulics engineer, mm -hmm. always wore the uh, forbidden red tie <laughs> for launch. Uh, <laughs> The tradition was you don't wear red because it signifies not ready and don't go. And Fire. Woody always wore a red tie. <laughs> that was his tradition. My own personal tradition, I've always struggled with sinus issues. And being in the old blockhouse at Complex 17, I would frequently get a runny nose. I got in the habit of carrying a roll of toilet paper with me for launch. And to this day, runny nose or not, when I sit on console, I have my roll of toilet paper there with me. The launch day was always a special day. I would, I would go in, and, and uh, maybe even the day before or so, and, and just have my procedure, paper procedure at the time, 
laid out. I'd have I'd have the right tabs in place. I'd have to have everything highlighted and marked, and and I had to have that done. So it, it was kind of you could say that's being prepared. I think it was uh, it was being prepared, but it was also having a very conditional, you know, this is the way I must do it because this way led me to success, not me personally, but led our team to success. So uh, so I don't want to vary from this because uh, I'll upset the ether. So you always have to do something a certain way. And that same behavior every day and every activity we do is part of what makes us successful. It was even more critical, you know, back in the in the early days of Delta II for launch because you have to remember the LCC on Delta II was in a blockhouse roughly 300 yards from the rocket when it lifted off. You couldn't rush back to your office if you needed a reference material. You were right there by the rocket while it was fueled and lifted off. Dad, clarify how close the blockhouse was to the launch pad. Approximately 800 feet. I couldn't believe that when we were talking about this that the blockhouse was so close to the launch pad. Our launch control centers are now a few miles away from the launch pads, and you can definitely still feel the rumble. How did that feel knowing that you were that close with a fueled rocket so close to you? Well, it's actually kind of neat because you felt the rumble. There's a little periscope. You can watch the the launch on on video, but through the periscope as well. And uh, I I thought it was really neat. Anybody who's attended a launch in Florida knows that, you know, you could be five miles away and you still feel the rumble going through you. It was visceral when that thing lifted off. You would feel it. Things would rattle. It was very surreal walking into the blockhouse. You know, oftentimes we were doing it at night. There were generators running with portable lights around, you know, and being the launch control system guy, I had numerous schematics and such, and it would take me three trips to bring all my reference material in there, just listening to the all the activity, all the other people going in and out, getting prepared. It, it was a very surreal experience, uh, is what I remember. Yeah, I remember too. Um, they, they wanted you to park down the road, and so um, I used to come in really early so I could be there for the tower roll and everything, and then get in my car, go around the back side of the tower so that I could just look at the rocket, just beautiful with the lights on it and everything, say goodbye. That was my tradition. You know, the one thing we never did was cheer a good end of boost phase or cheer a, a good first burn of the second stage. You know, we didn't cheer. There was there was no celebrating until the spacecraft separated. It was verboten to celebrate a milestone that wasn't spacecraft separation. And that continues through our culture today. We are not successful until our customer is successful and we get them where they need to be. It really paints a picture hearing how each of these people began on Delta II and hearing about what it was like to kick off the Delta II program. What did it feel like to reminisce, Dad? It was very nostalgic, but I enjoyed every minute of it. And I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation in our next episode. Dad, I really can't wait to hear more. This is exciting that we get to do this together. Next time, we'll talk about the teamwork that went into the program and how that played a large part in the success of Delta II. If you want to keep up to date with ULA's upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ULA Launch. Thanks for listening to United Launch Alliance's Voices of Delta II.